Elizabeth Solaru is a luxury cake designer, and today we're going to talk about how you can get those high-end clients too. You're listening to Sustainable Photography, a podcast all about business tips, inspiration, and confidence building. I'm Ingvild Kolnes, the host of this podcast, and after over a decade as a photographer, I now help talented photographers run sustainable businesses. And for full transparency, you should know that I'm a mentor with paid offers, and I will probably mention some of those in this episode. Hi, Elizabeth. I am so excited to have you here on the podcast. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very, very excited to be here. And today, of all days, it's actually quite warm in the UK. Yay! <laughs> it is here in Norway as well. Like, it's a proper, like the middle of summer even like a really great middle of summer day same here and they said it's going to be 32 degrees tomorrow so we know everything's going to come to a standstill oh wow okay yeah because that's 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 not bad for September is it yeah not bad at all not bad at all yeah perfect so I want everyone to get to know you better and I want to get to know you better myself as well so why don't we just start there you just tell us more about you and what you do Right. Um, I'm Elizabeth Solaru and I'm a cake maker. I work in the UK, but prior to me being a cake maker, I was actually a scientist. I was a microbiologist and I worked in a hospital for several years um, doing research, diagnostics, etc. And then I just remember one day thinking, I don't want to spend the rest of my life being you know, a lab rat There are so many things out there for me to do. So I decided to do an MBA. And after my MBA, I got a job in the city as a headhunter. And I was recruiting very high-end uh, chief executives, directors, chairmen. It was a complete difference to, uh, completely different to what I was doing before. So I did that also for a number of years. And then the recession hit around 2008 or thereabouts. Recession hit, and I said to myself, if I, ne if I don't make the move now, I'll never do it. Plus, it was a milestone birthday, a couple of other things. So I decided to set up my own company in the middle of recession. And that's how Elizabeth's Cake Emporium was born. That's, um, yeah, that sounds a little bit scary, but I'm glad you did it. Oh, same, 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 same. And um, yeah, and I remember those early days so well because obviously I had no money, I had a secondhand mixer, and I had to make this work. So I remembered what, what, I, uh, what, we, what they trained us to do when I was a headhunter. So we had to make 100 cold calls every week. So these are people we do not know. We just had to call uh, offices of chief executives or directors, and literally we had to get in and get a meeting And I had no contacts in the city, but somehow I managed, I never quite managed a hundred calls, but I managed to make about 50, 60 a week. So I thought to myself, okay, I've set up this cake company now. Maybe I should do the same. So I didn't know where to start. So I took the yellow pages and I started calling the numbers in the yellow pages. And that was how I got my first big break. Really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's that's an impressive way to start. 
Yeah. And um, it was really surprising to me, as you can imagine, because I'd been hearing a lot, a lot of no's and no's and no's. So, and this number, honestly, it was a, there was nothing special about it. It was a generic company name. I remember that very well, a generic company name. I called at the other end was a very young girl. I could tell, you know, the voice was very young. And she said, do you make cupcakes? And I said, of course we make cupcakes. And I said to her, I'm actually going to be in your area in three days time. Would you like me to drop some samples? And she went, yes, please. We'd love to see them. So three days I ran around. I got the most beautiful boxes that I can ever find. Uh, the company, I still work with the company, by the way. And the company had just set up. It was just that lady by herself at that time. So she sent me a, a load of samples um, and I selected a couple took the cakes um, to the to the company, but I was so scared, I just dropped the cakes and I said, delivery from Elizabeth, and I ran out of the door. <laughs> I didn't, because I didn't want that, you know, I didn't want to know, if they didn't like my cakes, I didn't want to be around while they were tasting, and uh, got on the bus, headed back home, and before I got home, I got a call from the company saying, Lady Elizabeth would like to come and see, would like you to come and see her. And I'm like, who's Lady Elizabeth? But I didn't argue. I turned around, I came back, and it was actually Lady Elizabeth Anson, the Queen's cousin, who was actually the first ever party planner in the UK, as in professional party planner. It was her. I did not know who she was at the time, by the way. I did not know anything about this. So turned around, she said, right, your cake's excellent. Love them, love them. And she placed an order for about 200 um, or 250 cupcakes. I can't quite remember. And then she gave me a check from a private bank. I had never seen a private bank check in my life, but I was too poor to frame it. So I had to cash it straight away. And that's how my journey started, really. That was my first proper big break. Wow. Okay. That's a, that's a cool story to have. That's, that's really great. And because you work with high-end clients, that's your niche? Yes, uh, absolutely. And I think um, what happened was I worked with her and then I started working with a couple of other people, um, people who assumed, and this is a good, and this is sometimes a good thing. Now, sometimes the way people look at your products is different to where you look at it. I, I had just started out. I thought I, I was not an expert or a professional. I just thought, okay, I'm still learning. That That's always my, my thinking. But people were like, wow, wow, this is excellent. This is great. This is amazing. But I was still saying to myself, I need to learn as much, uh, um, as, much as possible. And because I love learning, I love studying, I was doing course upon course upon course. In fact, I went to America. I remember when I discovered Ron Ben Israel. He's a big name in the cake world. I literally hunted him down. I then found Ron Ben Israel online. I badgered him, hunted him down. And then he agreed to teach. And he decided to teach in Savannah, Georgia, which is uh, in the Southern States of America. So I remember 13 hour flight, two planes or something like that. And to me, it was the most magical time. And he was so generous, he was so lovely. And I wasn't the only one who came from abroad. There were so many of us 
And everyone in that class, I mean, some of the big names in cake making today, we all, we were all in that class. I don't, there was just something magical um, about that period. So I was just learning as much as I can. And then I got another lucky break because I was um, asked to appear on a TV show. Uh, There's a big TV show called The Bake Off, Great British Bake Off. This TV show was the the one before Bake Off. Um, Same idea, a bunch of cake makers together. And then we all competed and then somebody wins. And I won three times in a row. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) But I I remember saying to the producer, I, I was just arguing with the producer and I said, no, 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 no. I'm an amateur, go and talk to, and I gave um, his researcher about 10 names of cake makers because I didn't think of myself as a proper cake maker. But he said, no, 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 I want you to be part of it. And then I ended up winning three times. Now that was another highlight for me, but this was many, many years ago. So those were a couple of the breaks that I got into the world of high-end weddings. Mm. Because if you work with high-end clients versus... Uh, I almost want to say normal clients. Uh, there are some differences, aren't there? So, what is it important? What is it important to be aware of or kind of know about before you want to start venturing down that route? Um, I think the the only way I can describe it is the difference between, say, Chanel and H and H and M. I don't know if you, you know, like a high street store. Mm -hmm. So it's the difference between a luxury store and a high street store. Now, sometimes it's not in the product itself. Although I say to everyone, you have to have a good product. But sometimes when you, it's the layout of the store, it's the ambience, is the fact that many people are actually scared to go into high-end stores. Is the fact that when you walk into a high-end store, the way the products are laid out It's not crammed. There's just enough. And some are actually kept behind a special glass. Just so it's, so it's all about that. Um, To be fair, um, many of my clients are what I call the aspirational luxury clients. So they're not quite, they're not uber rich, but they've saved up for a very special occasion and they decided, okay, the cake is one of my top three or top five priorities. Now that's a very important question to me, rather than are they high end? Are they not high end? I don't care about that. For me, what is the priority of a cake of photography? By the way, I think photography should definitely be number one. And that's because the photographer is the only person recording evidence of what happened on the day these are your historical records for your family so i always say to the to, to my couples prioritize photography it's it's don't make it an afterthought so for me the same with the cake so if the cake is an afterthought then it doesn't matter how high end they are they're not going to value what i do but if the cake is one of the key things that matters to them then even if they're not so-called high-end, they will save up and, and they will be a lot more appreciative of the service that I'm offering. And in such cases, I'm actually willing to give the clients extra because they love and appreciate what I do. So that for me is a difference between 
when people say high-end and maybe not so high-end. But in the high-end world, there are also differences. I think I identified about seven or eight different types of high-end clients. And then when I broke it down further, because again, I'm a scientist, so I love um, scientific analysis. When I broke it down further, I was told that we, if we cross do cross combinations, we'll probably have about 137 types, but it's not possible to, to have all these archetypes in, in a book or in one place. So, but my, but my point is every person is different. Um, and it's, it doesn't, it's not about whether they got X amount of money or not. It's them as a person and how they react to beauty, for example, or, if they are aspirational or are they label lovers? Because some people love labels. So if it's not Gucci or if it's not this. Um, so if, you're, if you've come across someone who's name dropping um, their labels, oh, I'm wearing this or this cost me this or this cost me that. As soon as people start saying that, I, I know the type they are in my head and I know what to say. So I might say, oh, that's interesting because did you know I did a collaboration with Fendi or I did a collaboration in Harrods. So when you see things like that, you are on the same wavelength as opposed to, you know, being modest and because with them, they're name dropping and because they're using it as a litmus test. Do you know these labels? Have you ever done? So the moment you say, oh, you know, or, oh, I, I know the, I know the director or I know this or I know that. They love that. Or with them, don't don't name drop too much. Um, let them do the talking and then drop in. Oh, you know, did you see? Oh, yeah, yeah. Ha. So that's one type. That's one type of client. And then you have the aspirational client, for example. Um, the easiest way is, oh, I want my wedding to look like X, Y, Z. So, oh, I want, you know, oh, Kim Kardashian wore this dress. I, so, you know, they're aspirational. That's their idol. So you need to talk at that level. Oh, did you see when she went to the Met Gala and she did this? Or did you see how she had a just random stuff? Seriously. And there's so much um, stuff out there. So that way, so that's how you begin to tell and engage with clients on a different level. Yeah. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Definitely. And I do agree that it's a good question to ask, like whatever service you provide, how important is it to your clients? Because it does make a huge difference if they or how much they value it. So I always pay attention to that when it comes to photography as well. Like, do they want this or is it just like another thing to take off their on their list? Oh, absolutely. Um, I completely agree. And because with the reason I absolutely love photography is because I'm a hopeless photographer. It's one skill. I know I did courses. I bought the camera. I have a professional a tripod. It's not me. There are times you give up and go, right. But so when I see beautiful images and the thing about images, and this is important to high-end clients as well, is that one photograph can change the your product just like that. The first time a cake of mine went viral, and I mean proper viral, as in 3 million hits and, you know, that sort of thing, really viral, it was a photographer. It was the cake. I mean, the cake was a cake. Don't get me wrong. It was a beautiful cake, but five, I'd say about five different photographers, including myself, you know, had taken photos of that cake. 
but there was one photographer. It was the angle. It was everything, the light, the, you know, even the styling, he had an idea and that went viral. And there was another cake he took because what just so to, for me to prove it wasn't a fluke, there was another cake of mine that he took. Again, that went viral. So there was something there about his skill, extremely, you know, extreme skill, his eye, the way he saw my work as a work of art. And not many photographers can do that. Mm. So, and, and I say this, that, you know, they can take a good product and make it an excellent product, an unforgettable product. And that's what you're trying to pitch when you're pitching to high-end people. They, they need to, they need, it needs to be memorable. The first time somebody described my cake, she said, I said one word, she said memorable. Because she said, no matter where, and, I'm, and she said, that's more important than excellent product. And I was like, wow, interesting. that's yeah. interesting. I know, right? Mm. I said it at the same time. That's interesting. So, yeah. So, for me, photography, number one. Yeah, yeah, uh, I agree. It is really important, definitely. But when you work with luxury clients, for example, how can you give them the experience that they are expecting? Right. Um, again, I always go back to luxury stores or a luxury hotel or a luxury concierge um, from the very first email or from the very first time they approach you. So many people would say, oh, you need to fill in my form. You need to email us with your request. Da, 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 da. I don't do any of that. Um, some of my clients, I mean, I had a client today. That's why I'm all dressed up. <laughs> I had a client today, I had a delivery, and the client literally sent a WhatsApp, um, half, half a sentence, if that, something like, uh, love that cake, blah, blah, blah. I was like, fine, don't worry, um, it's fine. Um, but because they're a repeat client, I knew the drill. I just said, I, I said, what time? My only question was, what time do you want it delivered? Everything else I, I sorted out with um, the housekeeper. But my point is that um, any which way your client wants to communicate with you, let them. Mm. Don't, don't be so precious. I've seen people go, no, in, no Instagram DMs or anything like that. And I understand sometimes some inquiries are, you know, a bit random, but... Um, let them communicate whichever way they want to communicate with you. I've had orders from Facebook, from LinkedIn. I've had orders from all randoms, um, to be honest with you. So let that, let that experience be easy. Yeah. You know, easy. It doesn't have to be the most luxurious, but it has to be the most convenient. So let it be easy. And then, uh, for example, one thing a lot of people, cake makers do, they post samples so they might post a sample but for me i i don't i personally do not like that because i don't think it gives a rich luxury experience so i do other things um that make my cake tasting fun um i could do a picnic i can do um there was one i we did like a treasure hunt i know it, weird random i know but again i let the client take the lead you know do you want me to this or do you want me to that um, and I, like I said, anything that makes life convenient for them, some of them might not want to travel. Um, I've had some of my samples flown by private jet for a tasting. I didn't get the job, um, but 
it was, yeah, I, I was like, this is, so you'd be surprised at what clients will, you know, and what clients will, will do. So my job is to make life as easy as possible. And let the experience be as pleasant as possible. So that's what we're expecting, to be honest. Yeah, I agree. It's all about making it easy. That is really important. And it's often kind of forgotten, like we're so stuck in the way we do things that it's like, we're not seeing it from the customer's perspective and seeing how maybe complicated we make it or how how we could just make it easier. Oh, absolutely. And I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's a new year. And if you want to start the new year off in a great way, why not go over to ingvillkognes.com shop to find something that will give you and your business a boost. You are spot on. Because we are the ones, because we're the service provider, we forget to be the customer. So there are times I ask myself, if I was spending um, X amount of money on a dress, for example, what would I expect? Mm. And sometimes we, we are also too much in our own world and we use certain terminology that the client is looking at you like all blank, you know. <laughs> because you know and again be i'm also suspicious of clients who know too much of our terminology because i'm thinking hmm, maybe they've shopped around <laughs> maybe they've shopped around so much maybe that's why they're mentioning certain things and i'm thinking that's a bit weird so again too much terminology or too little terminology can be a bad thing yeah i i i agree it's um uh... It's good to know who your client is so that you can meet them in the in the right way and use the right language for sure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, not just not just language sometimes, because language is pretty powerful. But I say to people sometimes images. Images are amazing. Just show them images if you, you know, or videos or something, because people, a lot of people are visual learners, because that's why they say a picture is worth a thousand words. So if you know, okay, I might not be able to, if you're not much of a salesperson, because some people, you know, they can't sell. And sometimes you don't have to be a salesperson, but if you can have amazing images, then that would do a lot of the selling for you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with that. I think um, images can in many cases be very underrated. So it's important that we, show them and use them as much as we can for sure. And when it comes to getting those high-end luxury clients, what can we do to start attracting them and to book them? Okay, great. That's a fantastic question, actually, um, because my uh, the Book More Wedding Summit, my talk was actually on how to book more high-end clients. So um, I spoke about, I think, three things that people need to do First of all, make sure that you have a good product. Make sure that people can find the product because sometimes I go on, when, I, when I'm coaching, I, I, I still had an occasion like that. I went on the website and I could not find the product. I, and I'm thinking, why is the product not you're on your home? Why is it not front and center? Also um, about you, you as a person, uh, uh, again, make it about them. Not Yes, a, a bit about you, nice personal fun facts, but make it about them. So that's a nice one. 
Um, and then the third thing that I would say is you need to, when you've got the good product, when people can find your product, you then need to charge accordingly. If you charge too low, they'll be turned off. If you're too high, they'll be turned off as well. So you need to charge appropriately for what you offer. And then in terms of a lot of people asking, you know, how can I find rich clients? How can I find rich clients? And I'm like, that is the wrong question to ask. The right question to ask is, what is the most value that I've ever given a client? So think of the products that you have right now. Think of the most you've ever charged for a product. It could be five figures. It could be six figures. I don't care. Think of a product you can create where if you add another zero to the best price you've ever charged, you know there's a buyer out there. So create that product. Um, I use the example of couture houses. Um, think about it. They create these amazing couture gowns that start at six figures, right? Knowing fully well that maybe only 100 women in the world can actually afford those couture gowns, but they create those couture gowns to get a moment, to get um, almost free advertising, et cetera, et cetera, to attract attention. And then how do they then generate the money via the lipsticks and the perfumes and the off the racks? However, the lipsticks are no ordinary lipsticks. So whereas maybe you might spend five pounds, 10 pounds on an ordinary lipstick, they will charge you about 50 pounds, 100 pounds for a lipstick. Um, so my point is, it's the way you position your brand. So think about couture products that you can create knowing fully well that maybe only one or two people might be able to afford it a year, but you then use your other, um, um, use that to drive a sale to the other product. Because if you price that product, I'd say a hundred grand, and somebody might think, oh my God, who's going to pay a hundred grand for photos? There are people who would do that, but hundred grand there. And then your lowest product is about 5,000 or 10,000 pounds. And then your middle product is about, 25 to 50 people will start thinking that your bottom end is actually a bargain so they'll pay more so you're actually getting more for the same product all because you've introduced a high-end product at the very very top end and i would say to people at that top end give it everything you can think of whistles and bells you know it will make your coffee it would photocopy for you <laughs> <laughs> make it make it such a bargain that people are like, wow, I wish I had a hundred grand because that's the thing. Because I've seen people go from, oh, it's too expensive. I can't afford it to how can I make this happen? How can I afford this? So you want to move them in that customer journey from, oh, not sure I can afford this to, oh my God, I'll be an idiot not to, not to buy this. So that is the whole point of creating that very, very high-end, um, high, high-value product. How do you do that in your cake business? How? What is your levels, if I can ask that? <laughs> oh, um, well, I mean, let's put it this way. When um, During COVID, when NFTs were all the rage, um, a lot of people were like, I just decided, okay, I'm going to create an NFT and I'll make it a million dollars. Now, I knew nobody would... <laughs> 
I'm thinking, who's going to buy cake NFT for a million dollars? Obviously, it included me flying out to any country in the world um, to create the cake for you in life-size version. I added a few bits and pieces. I added a few. I collaborated with a jeweler. I did, we added jewelry just to make it a bit more exciting. Did I get any takers? No, I didn't because I knew I wouldn't. But I got a lot of interest from tech billionaires, AI billionaires, you know, people who are very much into the software who are like, wow, you know, a cake maker doing an NFT. That's strange. That's unusual. So, and it was a conversation. So that's my point. So you, there are, t- you can find ways, you know, um, you're a photographer. If you say to someone, okay, we're going to create the ultimate, ultimate, ultimate photography package. Um, there's going to be 10 of 10 photographers uh, for the day. We will fly out to XYZ. Um, and we're yours for a million or a hundred grand or whatever. Um, I think sometimes what worries people is they might say, oh, you know, a lot of people would say um, they might make fun of me or they might think I'm crazy or blah, blah, blah. What if one person actually buys that package? Would you care if somebody said you're crazy? <laughs> like you've got a million pounds in your bank account. Would you really care what anyone's you know, so I think sometimes we just need to take a few risks. Not, you know, it doesn't have to be as extreme as that. But, you need, you know, just create that package. Create it first. And you never know. You never know. Because then, then you begin to position yourself as another level. But you can still offer your normal box standard services where you can then use that to position yourself into another category. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Are there specific platforms that you would recommend to start getting those kinds of clients if you want to do more high-end and luxury work or um what would you do in a ter- in terms of marketing ah that's a very good question um i'm actually writing a book <laughs> i'm hoping to launch the book by um, the end of the year early january so i i've literally listed where you can find rich people okay <laughs> i've yeah i've literally listed but in terms of platforms, um, believe it or not, rich people are on Instagram. <laughs> they are, they are, but sometimes some of them are under assumed names. A lot of their accounts are set to private. So a little tip, if you have a, um, a favorite brand, so for example, my favorite brand is Chanel, right? And what I do, I might go on Chanel and look through some of the comments. Look at, pick out a name where if they comment, Chanel has personally commented back. Mm. Or a couple of high-end people or a couple of influencers have, um, they have commented back on that particular name. Then you know, ah, that's a high-value person. That's a high, high-end person. So you can do that. So that is a little tip, a tiny tip. You know, I've got, you know, because I have a section in the book where I've said, okay, even if you're, you you know, you might be like me, as in, I don't, I sometimes don't want to go and network in person, um, although the best way is going network in person, but sometimes I don't want to go network in person. So how do I find high-end people? I promise you, social media, Instagram, LinkedIn, LinkedIn is amazing because yeah, because people's jobs are listed. <laughs> but do you, when when you find these people, do you just contact them directly? Is that the the approach, or do you wait for them to find you? 
Oh no. Ah, okay. So this is what you do. You can do it both ways, but you've got to be very subtle about it. The mistake people do is to like, um, is that, you know, it's a first date, right? So on a first date, um, you, do, you don't ask somebody to marry you on the first date before you've even gone out. So that's what many people do, right? That's what they do. So first thing you do, just be commenting. It can be a month, six months, a year of constant, because remember, they're very wary. They're very distrustful, you know, then, you know, because many people want to use them for money. So you've got to be genuine. If it's an, if they are talking about an area of interest that you genuinely are interested in, and this is important, then you comment and you go. You comment and you go. If they respond, don't go all fangirl. Oh my God, they respond. Ah, 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 ah. Chill. You know, if they respond, a thank you, a thank you, and but keep keep commenting. They need to see that consistency. So what? Remember, I used to be a headhunter. So this is what I did. <laughs> I did this like the back of my hand. So need to see the consistency. After a few months, six months, you can then ask, you know, a 10-minute meeting, a five-minute meeting, would you be happy to jump on a call? I know your time is precious. And make sure, and this is important again, if you get the, uh, the opportunity, you do not exceed the 10 minutes or 15 minutes or whatever. Let them be the one saying to you, oh, you know, oh, I've got more time, you know, let's chat, blah, 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 blah. So that, you know, that's the entry level. That's like an entry level. And once you start talking uh, in conversations, there's one at the moment, I've been invited to a launch that he's having, et cetera, et cetera, because we've spent six months LinkedIn, just he's been watching my posts. I've been watching his posts. I, I agree with him sometimes. Sometimes I disagree. And disagreeing is actually a good thing because but don't be rude when you disagree. You can actually say, well, some people might suggest, you know, that otherwise, or I've heard other people say X, Y, Z. What do you think? So because agreeing, 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 uh -uh, you can actually say, here's another perspective. Here's another point of view, blah, 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 blah. And then you start getting the meetings. And after that, you know, you might start getting the business. So that's my point. It's a nurture relationship. It's not a, I found X, Y, Z on Instagram, um, you know, going from a first date to, would you marry me? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 That's, that's really good advice. What about, cause I know that a lot, especially for, for weddings, it's, kind of important to have relationships with, for example, planners and stuff. Is that necessary? Do you need to know planners? Is that is that the thing that's going to help you the most, do you think? Um, it really depends. It depends. Um, many planners, especially high-end planners, you've got to look at things from their, their position. They want to showcase the best to their clients. So if you can have a relationship with a planner and you consistently show them that you are amongst the best, and you know their work, and you know their style, that is great. However, there are planners that would try different vendors all the time. There are planners like that. And there are planners that are, that are loyal to certain vendors as well. So the ones that are loyal are actually a great, they're actually good, great because just keep being consistent, being consistent, being consistent, and 
you may get an opportunity to work with them. Now, there, there might be a situation where um, you might not be, you know, again, you, every year there's always a new flavor of the month, the new it photographer or the it florist or it venue or whatever. And people go with the flow, you know, our industry. I'm sorry, but sometimes we can be very fickle. People go with the flow. That's good in a way because you then need to say to yourself, if these planners did not exist, would I still get work? It's not great to be overly dependent on planners and it's not great to put so much pressure on planners either. So my point is form those relationships um, develop those um, develop those relationships and nurture them, but don't put all your heart into that. Because I used to be a headhunter and I need to look for my own clients and not rely on somebody else. So I had to go out and, and hunt for my food, literally. Because if I didn't get those clients, I didn't get my commission. Although I got a, I got a salary, but you had your bonus on top of the salary. So I had to go. So I was motivated to go out. So the same way as well. I've actually been in positions. Yes, I'm a cake maker, but I've actually given planners work. Yeah. So, but don't be overly reliant on planners because they only do so many weddings a year, especially high-end weddings, mm. which take a long time to plan, a long time to, to get rides. You know, they're dealing with a lot. So, so again, we put, sometimes we put on due pressure on planners. It might be better to develop relationship with the venues, actually. It might be better to develop really good relationship with the venues, um, especially if you're a photographer, because you've got something you can offer them. You've actually got a skill, because venues can never have too many photos. You know, daytime, nighttime, summer, winter, springtime, so many variations that you can give them. So... Yeah, that'd be my that'd be my advice about that. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. When it comes to working with high-end clients, do you see that there are any any challenges that you might want to be aware of when you work with those kinds of clients? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, I'm not gonna give too much away, but um it's around expectations. It's around for some people, it's around expectations. For some people, it's around, it might be around respect, like a mutual respect. I have been so blessed. I've never, ever, ever had a disrespectful client or a horrible client. I've just been so, so lucky. Uh, because, and maybe because sometimes I might turn them down before they become a client. So there's a way you can, you know, politely move them on to maybe somebody else. So expectations, uh, you know, in terms of relationship, in terms of um, respect, um, in terms of, and if clients are expecting, if they're paying a, a great deal of money, they're expecting you to solve any issues. So to give an example, I've been asked to take cakes abroad a number of times um, I will contact, you know, me and the venue, uh, you know, the director of events, the chefs, we will all have a meeting via Zoom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry, Elizabeth. Everything is fine. They'll give me the measurements. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because I, there are times I have to measure doors as well to make sure the door is wide enough for the cake, blah, blah, blah. And then I arrive and the story is completely different. 
the first thing could be the chef saying, I haven't got any space for you in the kitchen, or it could be, nobody told me you were coming. Um, so again, I have to think of it from his perspective because he's got 300 guests to feed morning, noon, and night. My little cake is the least of his problems. So I need to think of a plan B. I've had a situation where he said, no, you can't use any of my cold rooms because they're full. He showed me and they were full. And I wouldn't want to taste a cake where you had uh, salami and, and, and cheeses. And so, so, I, so, so even something like that, anytime I go to a new country, I find out where the electronic shop is. So I can, if I have to buy a fridge, I buy a fridge. I find out if we have to rent a cold van, um, a cold uh, lorry, a refrigerated lorry uh, when I arrive because there might not be any room. Um, and even my hotel room, how far is it from the venue? Because they might say, oh, don't worry, we have transport. And then a sports car turns up. <laughs> it's happened. <laughs> so it's just things like that, that you need to be, you know, so working with them. And I can't be calling the clients or even the wedding planner because the wedding planner, it might be, um, might be trying to salvage the flowers that have suddenly wilted because somebody left the cold room door open. So you'll be surprised <laughs> because, and also the high, the higher end the event, the more, um, and because there's so much detail, the more chances are for things going wrong. So me, I'm the least of anybody's problem. So I then need to say, okay, I need to, I call it my crisis management list. What can go wrong? For example, the cake table, what if it collapses? And that's near happened to me before, where the venue set up the table and we placed a cake on it. It was a 10 foot tall cake and the table went Luckily, we were still holding the cake. You know, we, we quickly grabbed the table and, we, you know, so again, it's just little things like that. You know, what do you do in a situation like that? So yes, it's people want to work with high-end clients. They want to do, want to earn more money. But I tell you, it's a lot more stress. So many things that I've seen that can happen that can go wrong. But like I said, because they had a team of other photographers, the day was saved. So about things like that. It's about thinking five steps ahead, 10 steps ahead to what can possibly go wrong. Mm. So if someone is still, after knowing that it might be more challenging, want to work with luxury clients, high-end clients, what advice do you have for them to kind of steer them in the right direction? Uh, the first thing I'd, I'd say is to find somebody in your particular field that works with high-end clients whose work you admire. So go, go see how you how they branded themselves, how they positioned themselves. Go back, you know. Um, my approach is I've always done the scientific approach. So I will research a person. What were their photos like in 2011? You know, when did the change begin to happen? How did they make that change? With, usually it's about positioning. So it could be something as simple as, trying to network with other vendors that work with high-end clients. And many of them might not give you time of day, but that's fine. It's okay. Keep trying to network. Or you could say, you know what? There's me, 
I know a dressmaker, I know a venue. We're not there yet, but we want to get there. So you began, you can come together. Uh, one, things, one thing that really helped me was I did a lot of shoots. At, uh, 10, 15 years ago, I did so many shoots. Anyone that asked me, I'll just do a cake for the shoot. That was good and bad in a way. It was good because I was getting a lot of images out there, um, but it was bad for my positioning. And then I then started being a bit more careful, a bit more choosy, who I work with. And then I started organizing my own shoots. And I did a couple of shoots and they went viral. So one was a Frida Kahlo, very high end, very you know beautiful, blah, blah, blah. So I did the Frida Kahlo shoot. Then there was a spring fever shoot that I did with just white tulips. So I just learned um, to brand my shoots, um, to select my photographer very, very carefully. I know I keep coming back to photographer, but there's a reason. Um, select other people very carefully. Um, and when you are in charge of a high-end shoot, um, this is why I can never be a planner. The details are too much. They're just too many <laughs> to remember. And then I had to remember that each vendor who was providing a product i need to get beautiful shots for them um so each shot is actually so so many things i had to i learned during that process i had to learn to have an editor's eye so even when the photographs are ready i'll think okay which ones should i submit which ones so it's just little things like that um so yeah i would just say um, start looking at if, if you simple things like even organizing your own shoots. Um, and it doesn't have to be uber expensive. One of my most viral shoots, we use somebody's back garden, to be honest, but nobody knew it was her back garden because, you know, we angled the shots really carefully. We, you know, so there were things you can do with what you have right now. You don't have to spend oodles of money that might come later. But for now, use your skill, your talent, your creativity to try and get you to position yourself where you want to be. Mm, yeah, I love that. That's perfect. Thank you. Um, so we've covered quite a lot now, both in terms of what the high-end clients are and how you might be able to position yourself and actually get those clients. Uh, and if someone wants to keep learning from you, Elizabeth, where do they go? How can they find you? You can contact me. Again, I make it life easy on Instagram. I'm Elizabeth Kagan-Porium. On LinkedIn, I'm Elizabeth Solaru. Um, so yeah, even on Facebook, again, I'm Elizabeth Solaru on Facebook. So you can contact me, any of those platforms, and I will respond um, to you. Um, I coach, I mentor, and yeah, I, I help people who want to um, level up who want to improve their businesses or they just want to charge more um, and then you know we just we have a process that I take them through um, and a lot of it is about confidence as well yeah that's perfect thank you so much for having this talk with me I feel like I've learned a lot so thank you thank you so much it's been such an opportunity to be on this platform and yeah thank you appreciate it just listening to an episode of sustainable photography please share this episode with a photographer you care about 